0: everybody out there and listener land, welcome back to episode 51. We're on the upside of 50. You're listening to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. So welcome back. Welcome to my co-host, Steve. What's going on, steve all?
1: Hey, it is good to be back on the show, Tucker. Yep. We are now on the north side of half a century. Plenty, plenty more to go. Yeah. I will say last week's episode, it
0: was uh Interesting interview. A guy was—he was a nice guy. Carl was, and I know you flew him out here, had him out here Thursday or for Friday for a couple of speaking events. I really didn't know how the interview was going to go when you booked him for the show, but I will say that it was the first time I've ever interviewed somebody who's you know had a uh, a parent who had been murdered, and you know you never know how that's going to go, but I think it went really well. I think he obviously has had enough time pass between it happening and having a conversation about it, so. I think that you know he was very open and, and easy to talk to, and, and hopefully uh, our listeners enjoyed it, but I definitely enjoyed talking to him. How about you?
1: Yeah, 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 and our event was just fantastic. We had great turnout for both events, the one, the one on the east side, the one here in Lake Oswego on the west side. He was a great presenter, really, really did a great job of a combination, obviously, educating with that horrific story. Even more so than our podcast, because I wouldn't say he was hilarious on our podcast per se, even though I I think he had a couple witty comments. But in person, he really loosened up and he threw in just a good combination of tasteful humor at key junctures in regards to, you know, the real estate industry and so on and so forth. That it kept it somewhat light, as light as it could be. It was really entertaining. The way he presented it, he had a PowerPoint, he shows various pictures. He really takes it through the entire day, you know, the final days of his mom and what they were thinking almost kind of like a dateline NBC type show in person which was really which was really cool and riveting and then he goes into some takeaways kind of like he did with our show and and that was really powerful and very moving and then at the event we also had you know we had Kelly York from our company the president here of Premier Property Group he had some NAR, National Association of Realtor Takeaways. He he had a PowerPoint that went through a lot of different information that, that NAR has put out about the matter, which was really a good compliment to that. And then lastly, we had this gal. She's from Damsels in Distress, and she sells everything from pepper spray and personal alarms to tasers. And she was like showing, demonstrating them, not on people. No, <laughs> I was going to say, did you she's... volunteer to <laughs> get these? But... <laughs> she says her liability insurance will not allow her to demonstrate on people. Go figure. But she was a huge hit. Afterwards, there was a line at her booth that she had. She was taking orders, and, and there was a lot of interest in in the various items that she had for sale. So it was about a two hour presentation on each side, you know, on the east side and on the west side. Great turnout. Everybody left there just feeling like really, really motivated to do something about this and and to learn from it and to share it with their friends. And we saw a lot of reactions on social media. We were very, very pleased with how it all went. So Carl Carter Jr., he had done that presentation. I asked him. We actually went out to dinner afterwards. We went downtown to Portland City Grill with a few of us. And right before, he had a little time to kill before his flight took off. Back for Little Rock, Arkansas, by the way, is where he's Yeah, because he had Um, the red eye, he told us, which sounded. yeah, Yeah, yeah we went out to dinner and asked him how many times he'd done the presentation. He said about 50 different times. And so he's really got that gig down and and he really enjoys it. He appreciates the ability to try to make good out of that horrific situation. So it was a really cool event and I'm glad we got to be a part of it and, and got to share it with so many other agents as well. Yeah. And the thing I liked
0: about it, I guess the most is, you know, you asked him, when we first started talking, you know, do you have a day job? And he's like, well, I'm at my day job right now. And so he worked for that insurance company. So, he, you know, him speaking, it's not like he's trying to make a career out of something terrible that happened. He literally is just giving his time to
1: create awareness. And I, and I thought that was really noble of him. And and uh, I was happy to hear that. So, yeah, including taking time away from his day job. I mean, he, yeah. he, he, his day job works with him and they're flexible in that regards. But he does have to use vacation days when he when he leaves. And yeah, it's not something he's doing to make to get rich. He he truly believes in the cause and wants to help others and I thought that was just awesome. Yeah. Cool for sure. So, well, hey, this is going to be a, a market action update show. But
0: before we get into all that, uh, anything notable on the uh, broker and agent front that our listeners should hear about this week?
1: Yeah. So a couple other things. One on the brokerage side, one thing that I've been working very, very diligently with my marketing staff. We've actually now got three full-time marketing staff people. We hired a third one here recently. We've rolled out to our 650 plus agents the ability, and I think I mentioned this in a previous show, the ability to Immediately fire off a welcome package to either a buyer or a seller immediately upon their first contact with them. It's a very, very impressive product that goes out. We have a fulfillment center that we're partnered up with who houses and warehouses the inventory. They assemble them. They put in the realtor's information. They customize it to them. There's a buyer version that's specific to the buyer's side of things and has information about our company and how we assist buyers. And then on the seller side, there's a detailed play-by-play of the process that PPG does when listing and, and marketing a property. There's also sample print material in there. It's very, very Compelling. It's very, very, very impressive, but it's also cool in how immediate it is. So, if a client and an agent have their first interaction by phone, which is usually how you do your first consultation, say Monday, Tuesday, it's arriving at their doorstep. It's in a very impressive, like gift package looking box that protects it. They open it up and they really get a sense of professionalism. They get a sense of a company that really, really gets marketing and takes it to a high level. So, We've rolled that out. There's an ordering site where in about 20, 30 seconds, any of our agents can order that. It automatically goes out the next day. It arrives at their house, and the feedback is just phenomenal. So very, very excited about that. It's something that I've spent a lot of time over the years developing, and now we've actually brought it mainstream to all of our agents. On the broker side, I had an interesting day yesterday. We've been working with this seller for, gosh, I mean, we're an escrow closing Friday, And so kind of a long story, the long version of the story doesn't really pertain to this so much other than I interviewed with him back in early summer or maybe even spring. He, He informed me. I think I even talked about this on the podcast. He informed me that he didn't really need my marketing. He didn't really need to do any strategic improvements to his house, that the market's hot and it was going to sell itself. Well, he listed with another agent, and about 90, 100 days later, he had a different tune. He came back hat in hand and said, you know, hey, I'd, I'd like to meet with you. We had a sale fail. I mean, he not only... Did he reduce his price dramatically, but he also had a sale fail with that other agent. So we got together, we we talked over what we could do and how we could improve his experience. One of the things he brought up at that time to me was he said, you know, one of my neighbors is alleging that I have a drainage issue and it goes on to their property and We talked about that a little bit and, you know, some of the problems that person's been causing him. We list the property and and we had it into escrow in a reasonable amount of time. It wasn't overnight, but it was a few weeks later. We, We got an offer. We worked it through, got it into escrow. We're closing on this, and he kind of got a little little difficult to work with on a few fronts with regards to inspections and some negotiations. But we were working through this, and we have a close date of Friday. Well, I get an email yesterday in my inbox from an attorney saying, basically, there's a lawsuit, and we're suing the seller of this property. We thought you should be aware, being the listing agent, so that because a buyer's about to close on it and you know they'll be named in this as having a drainage issue onto our property. So huge, huge red flags going up, obviously major disclosure issues. The seller had never made me aware that there was any lawsuit going on. So we immediately you know we talked amongst ourselves, we talked to our principal broker and we just informed the seller you know we're obligated to disclose this to the buyer. We did disclose it to the buyer. We're still kind of peeling back what exactly is going to happen, if this is going to delay things, and hopefully the deal doesn't fall apart. But just a really unique situation to to basically find out that your seller is being sued three days before
0: closing. That is rough. I've personally dealt with that. We haven't talked about this off the air, of course, but I've actually personally been brought in to deal with that, and I've had to deal with people who are doing that on our property. We actually had one where we found out the city was doing that on our property and you know the looking back, you know we could have sued the city potentially if they got too difficult because they were trying to get us to design this ridiculous way of dealing with their water on our property which was going to cost us like 15 grand and at that point I said, "Hey, hey, this isn't gonna happen, and if it does, we're gonna go lawsuit because you know you guys have no right to do this. But in terms of owners to other owners, you know, just you know normal folks and not a, a municipality or a city like that. The law is is that you cannot dump water from your property directly onto another person's property. You can't dump it. Let's say you're on a slight. A slightly higher uphill than your neighbor and your downspouts have those accordion things attached to them and you dump all the water on the edge of your property and it rolls over to your neighbor's property. You know, we sold a house to somebody probably six years ago in Milwaukee and they kept having basement water issues. And we had to come back twice and basically rip out their whole basement and put it back together. And the whole time, you know, like where in the hell is this water coming from? Well, lo and behold, the neighbor next door was just dumping all of his runoff Onto the edge of the property that then ran towards the house that we sold up against the basement wall there and eventually the water found its way inside and so they actually had to sue him to get him to deal with his water properly because he was just being a dick and didn't want to deal with it properly and so. My guess is, is that your seller is probably not being totally truthful with you because the way that you deal with that is number one is you go, Hey, look, there's water coming onto our property. Let's go knock on our neighbor's door and tell him that this just can't happen. He's going to have to deal with it. Knock, knock, knock. And it either goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we'll look into it or whatever. Piss off. I'm not dealing with it. You know, I can do what I want with my water. What happens after it goes off my property is not my problem kind of thing. So my guess is that it didn't go straight to attorneys. My guess is that there was probably oh, a conversation.
1: I, I know my seller real well, and I'm going to be really
0: careful <laughs> what I say about him. But yeah, I'm not, but, I'm not baiting you to say anything. I'm he's, just giving my
1: He's not free from blame. He's not free from blame. He he did, in the disclosures, mention that, that there was allegations of, of drainage issue. I think there's some validity to what is going on, and it's very much like what you're saying. There's an elevation change. I don't think his gutters are going directly to the edge of the property, but I think they're going to a place on his property that has a slope that then is somehow landing it on the neighbor's yard. I think there's bad blood between both. I know know there's been a lot of allegations and just not good things. There's not a good, healthy relationship between them. I think there's probably blame on both sides. I think the seller thought he could put his head in the sand and bury it and... If he heard you got it sold, it wouldn't be his problem anymore. And and I think I don't know where this goes from here. I truthfully don't. We have disclosed it to the buying side and we've told the seller we had to do that. So the point is that stuff does catch up with you and this could cause some serious issues.
0: My guess on how it should be resolved is really the attorney should get taken out of it and people should just agree to fix the problem. But depending on where it is, and I won't, I won't make you say where it is because I don't want to, you know, further put this on the, under a microscope for people that don't know seller where it is. But there's two ways to deal with it. Number one is they may potentially need to install a dry well on the property and they may need to write or, or route all of the, I'm guessing, their rain drains or there's some sort of a driveway drain or something like that they'll need to route that runoff to the dry well. And that's one option, depending on where they are. The other option is potentially they could tie it into storm. If their city storm there, you know, the city may allow them to tie into the storm system. So basically it just amounts to some trenching some piping, some connecting, or if you have to put a dry well in, then potentially a fairly good-sized hole has to be dug. A dry well is put in, and then everything is routed to that so that the water is then drained down into the ground, depending on how well the soil perks, which you'll have to have a, a geotech test that and whatnot. So it's not an overly expensive problem, but it becomes an overly expensive issue when attorneys are brought in. So it yeah. would you know, Honestly, it would be better to deal with outside of attorneys most of the time, which is why it's too bad when it gets there because most attorneys don't have a freaking clue what they're talking about when it comes to mm-hmm. water. They just don't. So mm-hmm. they throw a lot of legalese at you and a lot of things like that, and then they bill you 300 bucks an hour to talk about something they know nothing about other than the fact that you're liable for something. And um, that can so,
1: quickly eclipse
0: the actual cost of it. Yeah, that's my yeah. point. So yep. it's yep. it's better to just deal with this stuff. I mean, water – we're in Oregon, right? I mean, water is a problem – all the time. And so it's just, you know, I, I guess my point is it's not an insurmountable issue as long as people are reasonable. And I don't see any reason why the sale shouldn't go through as long as it's dealt with properly. So hopefully Yeah,
1: I, I agree. I mean the buyer is pending sale on their own house. This was a contingent offer originally. So I know they need the place to live. I don't I agree with you. This isn't like some kind of horrific thing that the house is falling over or there's like some, you know, black mold or something crazy like that. It's it's very much something that can be dealt with. It's you know it's not tens of thousands of dollars it's it's possibly thousands of dollars and so i agree it's i'd be very very surprised if the deal falls apart but it's definitely just a monkey wrench in the 11th hour right before closing and it again i think the seller handled it incorrectly by not telling us by burying his head in the sand and just hoping it hurries and closes without it coming out and i think it's just an interesting situation for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad it did because if it didn't, then it would take up a lot more of your time with attorneys and, and being deposed and all that stuff. So. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep, kind of I agree. I agree.
0: Cool, well... I'll give you a quick update on what's going on with us. We are about a week away from closing on our multi-million dollar home on Nos Road to our buyers. We've got some really, really great buyers moving up from San Francisco. Rarely do I say that I actually really like our buyers. I mean, they're all you know, varying degrees of okay (laughs) a lot of the time. And some people are really, really nice. We've had a few over the years that are just really, really good people. And these are definitely at the top of the list. So I'm excited that they are the ones that actually get to live in this home. We've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this place. It's turned out absolutely amazing. So we're, we're, Punching out this week. We actually have pictures today. So I'm going to post some pictures probably tomorrow on our TTM Development Company Facebook page. If anybody's a fan of that, you can see what we're talking about. But this place truly turned out, you know, like a Lake Oswego masterpiece. It's an amazing home. And so the buyers were originally doing lending through Wells Fargo Remote Office, which, you know, Wells Fargo has been in the news for all kinds of not good things lately. But you and I can agree that their remote lending operation is, is god-awful terrible. So I got them to switch to a local guy. And I know we've had directors on the show a lot, and they do a fantastic job, so this isn't a knock on them at all. But the guy that I had them go to was Matt with Chase and Matt Potter, and he's a he's a good friend of mine for years and years and years. But they actually specialize in a, in a lot of the bigger loan amounts that other shops in town have a harder time with. And so they actually had a, we had a, you know, multi-million dollar appraisal done within like a week and a half of submitting the order we got it back on Friday. Everything came in great. It actually came in above what they're buying it for, which makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy. And it's going to be like probably a 26, 27 day turn from switching lenders, getting a a larger appraisal done and uh, getting this thing wrapped up. So he definitely exceeded my expectations i was just hoping for somebody that was competent and could get it done in a reasonable amount of time and he did really well so buyers are happy cuz they're living in you know a, a hotel for the time being since they moved up here and you know obviously i'm happy cuz you know transaction like that usually doesn't go that quick
1: do you know what the appraisal cost was there a uh, i in there? i don't
0: but i i did find out that the reason why they're so quick is because the amc that they use has some dedicated appraisers within it that just do work for chase And so they get the same people that do a lot of the appraisals and it's not like appraisal roulette completely. And Mm -hmm. so they prioritize those appraisals and they get them done a lot quicker. I don't know what the cost was, but I don't, because of that, I don't think you have to pay that exorbitant rush fee and all that. So it worked, it worked out really well. I've come to conclude that depending on what appraisal management company lenders use, it can really dictate the you know experience you have with you know the lending process and whether or not your buyers close on time because it seems like some appraisal management companies are just not managed well even though management's in their name right and i think that's the root of a lot of these problems because they don't have enough appraisers that they can assign appraisals to for whatever reason and so then they get backed up and then we feel it on our end right so i think that's really the important thing here you know in picking a lender is what's their relationship with the amc and And how strong is that appraisal management company?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely does play into that. And there are some that are better than others. Just a lot of what I've heard from many of them, including some that have in-house AMCs, which sounds kind of crazy, but it is technically allowed where Chase clearly does. Yeah, it's basically you have a separate arm that is your AMC. And um, even some of those have just said, you know, we we do have good management on our AMC, but the, the appraisers that we have, whether you have a you know, 20 appraisers that are slammed busy, or 100 appraisers that are slammed busy. It's really hard to control capacity. It may be getting a little bit better, and we'll get into that in the market action. I I think that some of these turn times might be improving a little bit as the yeah, market just gets a little
0: bit right. But I will say that you know the reason why they dumped Wells Fargo is because they had an appraisal request out there for two and a half weeks, and they nobody took it.
1: Nobody accepted it. Yeah, right. We Nobody heard accepted those it. Stories. And yep. uh,
0: you know, we switch lenders, and they put it out there for an hour, and it gets assigned, and we get a call an hour later. the The inspection's done three days later. We get the appraisal back another three later. After that, you know, so mm-hmm. all AMC's are not created equal. Yeah. Oh, much
1: sure. It. You got a, you got a good one. You got a good one. And when, did you, did you say you closed or when do you close? Uh, we close next Tuesday. So next Tuesday,
0: a week from when we're recording. So. Awesome. anyway, so that was, that's kind of the big highlight. You know, we've got our uh, townhomes and first edition we had listed had a, I know this is, you know, at the risk of sounding, making myself sound like that developer a-hole, I will tell the story, but we've got framers doing some initial framing. We've got some plumbers doing some initial plumbing and we've got some HVAC guys doing kind of the initial HVAC work before we, you know, really start to go vertical and frame above the first floor that gets put down. And so PGE is notoriously slow sometimes in getting the temp power hooked up up to the job site. And so we have a generator on site that uh, it's a new generator. I went and bought I mean, we didn't wasn't something we bought off Craigslist that was from 1980. That's just a, a horrible, loud old generator. It's brand spanking new. So we had it turned on the other day during work hours, during the business day. And we literally got five hate calls at the office from people who claimed that it absolutely ruined their day to hear a, a generator faintly in the background outside during work hours on a work day. And they they threatened to call the city and they were going to turn us in. Well, of course, city's not going to do anything because it's during work days and it's construction. But, you know, what's the difference between that and doing road work outside or, you know, having any sort of a landscape mm. there with a lawnmower or whatever? And man, it's just crazy what people will complain about these days. And I saw the uh, PGE guy out there who was uh, trying to expedite our power getting hooked up so we can quit getting these hate calls at the office. And he said that he actually had a call. From somebody in that same neighborhood because they were doing some work on some power lines and occasionally in between, if it's a multi-day operation, they'll leave those kind of orange wraps over the lines that uh, they can hang tools from and, and just have some supplies within them. Somebody called the city and complained that the orange wraps were an eyesore and they needed to be painted black. I thought, man, <laughs> some people got way too much time on their hands. So anyway, funny story. Yeah. Bottom line is uh we're we're getting ready to close down our multi million dollar property in, in L O and I'm I'm super excited about that. So that's pretty much the highlights for this week. So we can probably That's a, that's a good week. That's a good yeah, week. Yeah, you know, good good and good and bad. You know, that's the way it goes. But this this week on the show, we're gonna talk about the market action report now that we're done kind of jibber jabbering about what's going on with us. So why don't you kick it off, Steve? We got the new market action report in from RMLS. We got the new numbers out, and uh what do you see? What do you think?
1: Yeah, so as I went through this, Tucker, what I really what really jumped out at me was that there's nothing that jumps out, to put it simply. I mean, there's nothing dramatic about these numbers. There's no there's nothing that screams the market's getting really, really good or it's getting really, really bad. It's pretty benign. It's pretty, you know, steady in the same direction as it's been. And and I think that was just conveyed here. As you look at the year to date summary, again, this is the August report. It says the report even started this. It said August brought more mixed real estate numbers to the Portland metro area and and it said as in the year to date summary, activity has been mixed in two thousand sixteen compared to two thousand fifteen. New listings are up 1.1%, which is pretty much negligible. Closed sales are down 2.1%. Pending sales are down 2.7%. So very, very much on par with where the market has been. Listing inventory remained at 1.9%. I can agree with this. I think as I've talked to uh, my team and we discussed this here in a meeting we had here in the last day, we've acknowledged that, well, for one thing, I like the market as it is right now. I think... It's a good, balanced market right now, which is is good. My listing agents are happy. We're still selling houses. You know, they're not flying by any means. I'm sure there are some that do, make no mistake. But, you know, the average listing right now seems to hit the market. Maybe a week or two later, it's getting an offer, we're seeing a lot more contingent offers. We're seeing more contingent offers out of the gate. In recent past, it was more common that if if you were going to make a contingent offer, it would only be in the situation where the house had been listed maybe 30 plus days. Otherwise, they're just not going to even entertain it. But we have an offer out right now for one of our buyers where the house just hit the market and we're having conversations about making a contingent offer. And the selling side seems to be in agreement that that's a viable option. So my buyers agents are happy. I asked one of my buyers agents out of your last five offers, how many were multiple offers? She said one. I think six months ago or a year ago, it would have been flipped. Out of five offers, one would not have had a multiple offer. Four would have. So I just I think it's a great time to buy. I think it's going to be an, a unique environment, a unique landscape through the election. I think there's just so much, you know. <laughs> it the the news is pretty crazy right now. I mean the election's so close and the stock market I think is jittery. I think you know you've got two candidates, one who is more of the same and then the other who's just a <laughs> a loose cannon that wants to turn the world upside down and shake it and you know markets don't like that kind of uncertainty i don't think real estate markets like that i don't think buyers like that so i think it's i, I think there's there'll be some more uncertainty through the election possibly i mean the election's going to be in early november so it might even go all the way through the holidays that we'll have a little bit more of a quiet market less of the craziness we've seen in the past I think that's a tremendous buying opportunity for buyers. People who were frustrated in months past because they couldn't get the homes they wanted, I think this is such a great time for them to get out there and get the home they want. I think those buyers who couldn't fathom the idea of selling first with the unknowns of where they're going to go, I think it's a great time for them to get out there and make a contingent offer. As there's less offers on other homes, I think they'll really, really benefit from that environment. But it's also a good time, still an okay time to sell. Um, so I just, I think I like the market a lot. I said that before, and I'm going to say it again, I, I think we're pretty happy with the state of the market where it's out here now this week, today, last week, maybe next week. Will that, how long will that last? How long will it you know, will it change in a direction? You know, time will tell, but that's kind of our take. What do you think? You know, I
0: think the The market action report was about as vanilla as it can possibly be in terms of what it was previously. A couple things of interest though, just trying to, I mean, these are, I'm kind of putting a microscope on anything because it's such a, a minimal change, but, you know, change in pending sales, they were actually increased slightly from the previous month. Change in new listings was actually down slightly from the previous month. And so for me, I really look at those two things as forward indicators of what's to come as far as inventory levels. And so, you know, few months ago, I was saying that I thought we'd see inventory rise through the September, October, November, December RMLS action reports. I don't know that it's going to rise. I think, I mean, a notable amount, let's say, you know, I think that we might hover, maybe we break it into the twos, the low twos maybe we get to two and a half, but I don't know, because we're in a time period where a lot of the occupied homes don't sell through October to through the beginning of January, right? Because you got holidays and you've got everything that goes along with that. So if you want to throw moving in in on top of that, you, you know, a lot of times you're just playing crazy, right? So, you know, I, I don't see a, a dramatic increase in inventory coming at least over the next probably three months. I took a look at you know, kind of a market overview. I do that in redfin quite often. It's just a tool that I use to kind of see an overhead view of all of the listings that are either active or pending and you know, in a lot of the neighborhoods that we focus in, there's not a lot on the market that can be bought. It's either pending or it's already been sold. There are a few, you know and and that kind of goes i guess to a couple of points. Number one, market time it says that it's dropped or it's actually raised a couple of days, so I don't know that's there's a couple reasons for that, I think, but one of the big ones is. You know, I've seen a lot of people put stuff on the market that is overpriced, and I think that it's probably has a lot to do with the sellers themselves and, you know, everybody thinks their house is a special snowflake and it's superior to their neighbors for whatever reason, right? That's just the reality of home ownership for a lot of people. And some realtors, you know, you've got to walk a tight line, you know, you obviously don't want to insult people, but maybe you have to set the expectation. Well, we can try for this, but you know, if we don't get it, you know, you need to be prepared to go to this, let's say based on my analysis. And so I've seen a lot of people that don't, are very begrudgingly want to go to the realistic number that something sells at. And, you know, I've seen a lot of houses sit, you know, there's one that uh, in particular, there's a, an agent that I know has looked at our, our floor plans and our listing a lot that we're selling right now. And they have a similar price listing around the corner. And, you know, I took one look at it and I said, it's overpriced by, you know, a fairly substantial amount. Well, Sellers don't think it's overpriced. I'm sure. I'm sure they think that house is amazing and it's the best house on the street. But the reality is it's not. That's why the market is spoken. It won't sell for what ours is selling for. And so I've seen that a lot. I've seen a lot of people that think because a product like ours sells for what it sells for, which is new turnkey unlived in theirs where they updated the kitchen and maybe a bathroom and it's clean should sell for the same amount because it has the square footage. And it's just not not the case. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into what a house sells for. But I think there's just a little bit in terms of false expectations or invalid expectations in terms of pricing. and So I think that the stuff that's sitting, a lot of that is because of that. And I think that if you price something right, the market will absorb it really, really fast still. And I think that anything that's sitting is likely it's overpriced or it's a combination of being overpriced and some sort of functional obsolescence that you just can't fix. And so the best way to fix that is price eventually. So, you know, I know, you know, everything sells for a price and that's really the dictator on and everything moving. But I've just seen a good amount of stuff that, you know, people come out of the gate a little too greedy, I think. And, you know, I think that's it might be giving a little bit of a false sense of the market slowing in some areas when I just think <laughs> that the reality is there's just a lot of not a lot, but there's some stuff on the market that I just it's just overpriced. That's the
1: bottom line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. A lot of times I'll say that to sellers. I'll say, look, when when all else is equal and you can't change anything else, you got to change the price. I mean, yeah. and there's there's times when you can address other things and then there's other times you, you can't change the location of a house. You can't change certain functional obsolescences. You can't change a busy road. So you just have to incentivize a buyer with the price. Yeah, that's the exactly. Thing you can and
0: the other thing. The other thing that happened last week is that obviously interest rates went unchanged, which, you know, historically interest rates haven't dictated the market too much, but I I do think in this particular run up in pricing I think it does have a a, a fairly decent sized factor to play in that, and I think as long as interest rates are remaining as low as they are which is virtually zero at least fed funds rate anyway you know it's going to keep rates down on mortgages and it's going to keep money cheap and so that cheap money is is definitely helping fuel i think a lot of the buyers that that are out there and so you know, until rates increase dramatically, I don't think a quarter rate increase is going to do much in terms of flattening the uh, real estate market or, or, you know, putting a wet blanket on it. I, it might affect the stock market pretty volatily at least during the first week after they eventually raise it. But I don't see that happening before the election. I just don't. So, you,
1: you know. know- that's such a confusing component to consumers. We, the Fed funds rate does not change mortgage rates. In fact, when they changed it in December, it they, they dropped after that. But the consumers, and we talked about this on our podcast, the consumers don't know that. So right. when they hear this chatter about the Fed funds rate either almost changing or it's about to change, they think that is mortgage rates. And I think that plays to our to our hand in the sense that it kind of creates a sense of urgency with them. So, yeah, I It'll be well. It ultimately affects that. the
0: bond market, which affects interest rates. But yeah, it's not the same. That's for sure. Yeah. There's yep. a there's a separation between them. That's for sure. But it, it, more than anything, it plays into consumer confidence, which you know, as we know, consumer confidence plays a lot into which direction the real estate market is headed. And so, you know, I think we're going to see probably very similar reports through the next three months in terms of not a whole lot of big change on any fronts, but that's just my guesstimation at this point.
1: So on another side note, Tucker, one thing that came out this week, Armalus actually cranked this out on their regular Monday email. They send some links to various media articles. This was from CNN Money, and it was about Milwaukee, Oregon, 97222. It was actually recognized as one of the 10... craziest markets in the country. It says, with easy access to Portland, the median list price in Milwaukee has increased 12% from last year to hit 309000 And millennials seem to be fans of the town that's home to the large Milwaukee farmers market. They make up 28% of new mortgage purchases in the area. I thought it was kind of an interesting article. You, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but Milwaukee, it really is about the same drive to downtown as Lake Oswego, Westland. It's along the river there obviously a much lower price point. Three hundred and nine thousand seems really, really affordable for Portland to me, anyways. Clearly it's different amenities and it's a different clientele than Lake Oswego and West Lynn, but it really has improved in the last couple of years, especially with that orange line going in. So thought that was an interesting little side point that a little area of our community that got some recognition nationally.
0: Yeah, I've always thought Milwaukee has room to improve. You know, it's the next stop away from downtown and you know, with all of the uh, ease of transit, with that comes good and bad, I suppose. But it's got room to improve, that's for sure. And especially at three hundred nine thousand, that that sounds cheap, right? For Portland, yeah, so, that, is, you know. that
1: seems really, really cheap. So, yeah,
0: so cool. Well, I think we covered everything that was uh, important in the market action report. The bottom line is, uh, it was pretty vanilla. Not a whole lot of change this month. So that'll be kind of the uh, overlaying theme for this month's market action report. I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, we'll put a book in on this one. This is episode 51, guys. We'll see you probably another uh, seven to 10 days, another episode. We're going to stick to our format of about three a month and we'll see you guys then. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.